Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Well, um, as we think back, probably more than a year now, I know that a number of us have lost someone that we loved. And whether it's a father or a mother or a sibling, family member, um, it all hurts the same, doesn't it? Losing someone we love always hurts. Uh, just recently, <clears throat> I heard about a lady who actually used to worship with us just a handful of times. Um, this was a few years ago, but, but I know that she always worshiped with us on YouTube the last several years. But she actually suddenly died of a brain aneurysm. And I happened to bump into her, her brother, <clears throat> who told me the news. And this happened back in November. And, of course, uh, I was stunned because I didn't know about it. And I'd, all I could say was, just, I'm so sorry. And with his hung, head hung, he only could really say, you know, I'm sorry too. And that he misses her. Always painful, right? And this is a sister that he lived with, both unmarried. You know, unfortunately, death is our reality. It's all around us. Last couple of years, uh, six million people lost their lives to the coronavirus. Uh, you've checked the news just as I have, and of course you've heard the horrific news of civilians, bodies strewn across the streets of cities in Ukraine. And it's devastating, right? There's no other word to describe death but devastating. That's tragic. You know, it's easy to be hardened by death because it is all around us. It happens practically every day. But let's remember that each death represents a person made in the image of God. We always have to remind ourselves that. They are not a number or a statistic. But we need to be informed what the Bible says about death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, death is not your friend. Death is this great enemy, the last enemy. And so death should always move us to lament and to weep, right? Death, death is not how things should be. In our overview of the kingdom of God the last many months, uh, we learned from Genesis 2-3 that death was the result of human rebellion. And so we know that God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of good and evil, you will certainly die. Right? We know that verse well. And so Paul said in Romans, in a theological reflection on all this, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 3, of course, and death through sin, he's connecting the two. 
And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So it's the theological foundation of why we have death in our world. You know, today we tend to call funerals celebrations, and I get it. Okay, I get it. Because we usually like to focus on the positive aspects of one's life. And we ought to. And we want to remember the happier moments. But let's not forget that death is not natural. It's because of sin. Death is a tragedy that impacts, in fact, all of creation. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with this creation, this earth. So it's an impact that goes in so many different directions. And it was deadly. Well, maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor Dan, this is Easter Sunday morning. Put a happy face on. Right? What's all this death talk? Jesus is risen. He is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And guess what? You'd be right. You'd be exactly right. That's why I like those songs we just sang. What was that first one? Happy Day? Yeah. I'm glad we sung it twice. I'm glad that thing didn't work. Let's sing it twice. Right? You're perfectly right. And we're going to get to the resurrection someday today. Just kidding. Within the next half an hour. See, the wonderful story of the Bible is how our loving and faithful God moved into time and space, into creation, to remove the curse of death in order to bring life to all of God's creation. Do you believe that? A whole new heaven and a whole new earth. But you see, I'm not so sure that we'll fully appreciate the resurrection of Jesus if we fail to understand the tragedy of death. So this morning, I want to take you back to a story you well know. It's the dramatic story of of Lazarus from John chapter 11, which is really a story of both friendship, love, death, of course, but a profound sign of new life. Jesus was no stranger to death. You know, today we have a modern healthcare system that basically extends your life a little longer. But Jesus lived during the time where infant mortality was very high. Now, let's suppose a child made it past his or her infancy. Did you know that only about half of these children would make it to their 20th birthday? High mortality rate. Only a few months before Jesus was crucified, he received a message that a close friend, Lazarus, was very sick. Now, of course, Lazarus, we know, is the brother to Martha and Mary. They were a family. 
And these three were like family to Jesus. So I suppose that they probably got together for a meal more than once or twice, probably quite a few times. Had lots of talks and fellowship together. They were friends. But when Jesus heard that his good friend was sick, he was way far away from them. A two days journey away from their home in Bethany. And Jesus, as far as we understand from the last story that was, we were told in John, that he was out by the Jordan River, out by the wilderness, the same place where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And he was ministering there. Now, you would think that if Jesus was a close friend of a seriously sick person, that he would drop everything and he would return. After all, Jesus is Mr. Compassion, right? Your friend's sick, I'm coming back. I know what to do. I can heal him, something like that. But instead, he decided to stay two more days. Uh, can we flip the slides forward, Jeffrey, a couple times here? Boom, boom, thanks. He stayed two more days, and you heard that right. He intentionally delays his return. Jesus curiously says to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Then John tells us in the next verses 5 and 6 that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, He stayed there two more days. Interesting connection there. He loved them, so he stayed back two more days. And I go, what? That sounds really weird to me. In other words, from what we can discern, Jesus stayed two more days out of love for his friends. But in my head, it's still like a puzzle. I still don't get it, right? And you're probably thinking the same. We can't figure it out. We can't put the pieces of the puzzle together. We got kind of the frame, but, you know, the inside is still like, can't figure it out. How does a two-day delay show one's love for another person? And how in the world will they witness God's glory? What is Jesus talking about? This is when we have to really go back to Isaiah 51 that says, you know, my ways are not your ways, right? In faith, we just have to trust him. Finally, after two days, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you can go to the next slide, Let's go back to Judea. But, he's with his disciples, and they're dumbfounded by this. Judea was a province that lay west of the Jordan River. And in order to get back to Bethany, which was on the other side of Jerusalem, they needed to go back through Jerusalem, which is in Judea, as well as Bethany is in Judea. But the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, the religious authorities tried to stone Jesus to death because he claimed to be 
God when he said to them, I and the Father are one. Undeterred by their concerns, Jesus tells his disciples the full extent of Lazarus' illness. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, Jesus' words are rather cryptic, and so his disciples didn't get it, and I'm sure we would say the same thing as the disciples. What are you talking about? Lord, if he's only sleeping, I'm sure he will get better. But as John explains, John 11:13 explains, what Jesus really meant was that Lazarus was already dead. And sensing their confusion, Jesus decides just to say it to them straight up. Our friend Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. So, more cryptic language. Clearly, Jesus has a purpose. We know that for sure. He has a purpose in his delay. And what precisely does he want them to believe? Uh, Next slide, Jeffrey. So Jesus and his disciples finally get to Bethany. And Lazarus is dead. In fact, he's been buried in the tomb already for four days. So he's not just two days late, he's four days late. All the work of contacting the funeral home, all the arrangements, whatever service they've done, has been done. In Jewish custom, you bury someone within a day um, because of obvious reasons the body would putrefy after a day. Mary and Martha, of course, are heartbroken. Mary is the one who sees Jesus first approaching Bethany. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died which I still think is a lovely statement because it really speaks of her faith, right? It really does. There's something tender about that statement, even though she is in pain. But then Jesus says, your brother will rise again. But Martha doesn't really compute it as anything unusual, right? It's like saying, well, you will see your loved ones in heaven kind of thing, right? Martha responds, I know he will rise again on that resurrection day, on the last day. She was referring to what all Jews believe and what Christians believe, that there will be a final judgment, the day of judgment, and each of us will rise from our graves and will stand before the living God and give an account of our faith. But incredibly, Jesus said these words to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, There's a slide for this too, Jeffrey. I'm the resurrection and the life. No one, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? In fact, did you notice in that sentence... He speaks of believing three times. And Martha does confess, yes, Lord, I do believe. 
And I think it's a question that every one of us must ponder. Do you truly believe? And I think Jesus is not simply looking for an intellectual answer. He's looking for an answer of the heart, the mind, and the will. Do you believe me? Do you trust me all the way? Do you believe that Jesus can bring you life even when you die? Next slide. Now, Mary's, uh, Martha's sister Mary also catches up to Jesus. And just like Mary, she says the same thing. If only you had been here, you could have saved him. He would not have died. It's in that moment when Jesus saw Mary crying. It tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Now these are actually quite strong words. And then it says the words we know well, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was so emotionally troubled, he burst into tears, one could say. You know, in the Western world, we tend to hide our emotions, but not so for this culture. Jesus wept, Martha, Mary, they were all broken up, weeping, crying. And of course, we understand that these were his friends as well. He loved them deeply. These tears were real. Commentator Tom Wright says, this could be nothing less than real. Flesh and blood, human emotions pouring out of Jesus. Is that the Jesus you know? Jesus wept. But what the Apostle John, the author of John, wants to tell us, right from chapter 1 till right to this story, is that the Word who was with God, And the Word, who is God, has become flesh and blood and is living among us. Feeling all the emotions of our broken and dying world, sharing in the pain of human death, the greatest human tragedy. You know, when we lose a loved one, especially when they were young. And Lazarus probably was not an old man. He was probably a young man. But when they're young especially, our pain, our tears, our sadness, and even our anger is very real. And Jesus' emotions were very real here too. In that moment... With his best friends, Jesus, God's Son, John wants to let us know, moved into the world of our death. And he weeps as we weep. That's who our God is. Next slide. So Jesus comes to the place where Lazarus has been buried. And once again, it says that Jesus was overcome with emotion. 
The tomb was basically a cave, and a stone was placed in front of it. But then Jesus says, take away the stone. But Martha, the ever practical one, of course, we know Martha in that way, she says, he's been there for four days, it's, it's going to stink. Right? That's going to smell bad, and she would be absolutely right. But then Jesus simply reminds her what he said earlier. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now this is the fourth time Jesus encourages Martha to believe. How many times does it take us to hear Jesus' encouragement to believe to believe? So the stone is rolled away from the cave. And then Jesus looks up and prays. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So this is a public prayer. He's saying it so everyone can hear him. So in Jesus' prayer, it's basically a prayer of thanksgiving, isn't it? Thank you, God, my Father, for hearing me. Jesus is referring to God's answer to a previous prayer. This prayer of thanksgiving, Jesus is simply saying, Thank you, God, for hearing me and answering my prayers. And he prayed this out loud for everyone to hear. And it is all for the purpose for his grieving friends and the world to believe that it is God the Father who sent Jesus to earth to bring new creation life. Whatever happens next, Jesus wants them to understand it is all because God heard his prayers for Lazarus. And then right after he said this prayer, he simply says, Lazarus, come out. No abracadabra, no fancy words, just simply, come out. Dead for four days, Lazarus comes out. All his burial clothes on. This was no resuscitation, this was resurrection. I guess you had to be there, right? Like, man, could you imagine the emotion, the commotion, the confusion, disbelief? You know, this is actually not the first time that Jesus resurrected someone from the dead. Did you know that? This is the story of Jairus, right? Jairus' daughter. Please come to my house. By the time they get to the house, the daughter is dead. But in that situation, Jesus goes into the room. He chases everyone out. She resurrects. Then he says, don't tell anyone. (laughs) But here we have this public moment. Only two months from his crucifixion and his own resurrection, Jesus basically lays it all out on the line. This is a public moment. Out he comes. 
in the most heart-stopping, dramatic moments in Jesus' ministry, in fact, all the Gospels, tears of brokenness are probably just, tears of brokenness turned into tears of joy were probably just everywhere. They have witnessed this combination of Jesus' incredible love, but his incredible power. All in this one moment. You can go to the next slide. So now we have to go back to this two-day delay. We've got to get our heads around this. What about this two-day delay? What do you suppose Jesus was doing? During that delay, Jesus and his disciples, as I said, were in the wilderness by the Jordan River. Same place where he was baptized. And we know he went there because he had to get out of Jerusalem because they wanted his life. The Jewish enemies were after him. This is what I think. I think Jesus delayed his return and prayed. I believe he was praying for resurrection for Lazarus. In that time in the desert, someone gave him the message earlier that Lazarus was sick, right? But I think he knew that Lazarus was dead because God told him. And now he was praying for resurrection. He prayed that there would be no more stench. That is why when Jesus stood before that open cave, Jesus' prayer was not for resurrection, but for thanksgiving. He knew it already happened. I just thank God that you have heard my prayer. Remember that? I thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. So he makes this public statement, you know, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. It was all a prayer of thanksgiving, and that God heard his prayer. His prayer was for a resurrection that happened two days or more prior. Furthermore, you do another thing. When you delay your return to the tomb for now four long days, everyone would know that this was a real resurrection, not a resuscitation. So, you know, Lazarus was very dead. I know that's not grammatically correct, but he was very dead, right? He was dead and buried. And so that when Lazarus came out, everyone would witness the glory of God and the power of God. That's what Jesus was all about, pointing people to himself and God the Father, his power and his love, so that everyone would believe in Jesus as God's Son sent from the Father. And then there's the question of the disciples' warning. Now, this is, this is the part... That's, you know, also interesting, and it goes together. If you remember, 
the disciples actually, when Jesus said, now let's go to Judea, they go, what? You want to go back to Judea? They tried to just stone you there, right? So you go, okay, now what's going with, all, with that, right? Well, the only way to get back to Bethany is through Jerusalem, right? It's going in the direction of getting your life killed. Jesus already fled Jerusalem, so we know it's a nasty place right now. Remember, two months before his crucifixion, things are getting hot. There he is in the wilderness. When a time, time, comes, a time has come for Jesus to, and his disciples to retrace their tracks and get back to Judea in Bethany to see Lazarus, even you get this comment from Thomas, who gloomily says in John eleven sixteen, 16, let all, let, let's also go so that we may die with him. Now, what is he talking about? He is probably talking about the fact that if they go back with Jesus, the likelihood of them dying is also high. Okay? So, just trying to get you a feel of the seriousness of going back to where they came from. So, he seems to understand, this is Thomas, the seriousness of this journey back to Jerusalem. We make fun of Thomas because we call him the Doubting Thomas, but there's some good stuff in this man. He knows something. So, Jesus spends two more days praying in the wilderness, praying for Lazarus' resurrection, and to show the world that in himself there is hope beyond the grave. But I can't help but notice that in praying for God to resurrect Lazarus, Jesus was well aware that he must walk towards his own death or his enemies were desperate to seize him. I think we might have a slide for that one too, Jeffrey. So I think in those two days, Jesus prayed for the resurrection of his friend, But I also think he knew that when he was going back to Jerusalem, that this was it. And we know it was it. Because we know the dates. Two months down the line, Jesus would be arrested. And maybe in the wilderness he was praying like he did in the Garden of the Gethsemane, right? Lord, if you would take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Something like that. Prayer was a deep part of Jesus' life. And so understand, before his resurrection, Jesus had to die. Death brings great sadness because it is tragic. It's tragic in all the grief and the pain and the sorrow that we see in the death of Lazarus. But two months after Jesus resurrected Lazarus, 
On Friday, Jesus is nailed to the cross. So Thomas was right. It was danger zone. Absorbing our sins in himself so that we could be forgiven and made clean before God. Before God could redeem the world and bring in the new creation of all things, Jesus needed to pay the punishment of our sin. That is why Paul said in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love. It is an act of love, yes. Demonstrates his own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But by dying for us, death is no longer the end for those who believe in Jesus. And on that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus is raised from the dead. Lazarus being raised from the dead was, was kind of like the prelude. It was kind of like the movie trailer. Right? But Jesus' raising from the dead is like the full-length movie that tells you the whole story of a new life for the world. Of course, you know that Lazarus, he was resurrected, but you know he would die again, right? But not in Jesus' case. When God resurrected Jesus from the dead, it was the dawn of a new a dawn of a new day for all creation. God's kingdom is now set in motion. And all those who believe in Jesus, as Jesus invited Martha to do, and everyone to do on multiple occasions, they would share in Jesus' resurrection life. Even this earth will share in this resurrection when in God's perfect timing, he will return and recreate a new heaven and a new earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, one more slide. <clears throat> oh, next one, sorry. We've lost Wi-Fi in here, so I can't remotely do it myself. <clears throat> so, um, as I finish here, I want to give you quickly three images. And there are three cool, I think, New Testament images <clears throat> that show how God's people share in Jesus' resurrection. So if you know the Lord Jesus, you've trusted him. This fully applies and if you don't know Jesus and you have not trusted him, this can apply for you. Okay? So first of all, first image is firstborn from the dead. First Corinthians, sorry, Colossians 1.15. It says, the son is the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 18, he is the firstborn from among the dead. Now, being the firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn, is the language of family, right? We know that right away. Jesus, in other words, is like the older brother. And as believers in Jesus, we are therefore like his siblings. But he's the firstborn. And we are part of his family. 
because just as Jesus rose from the dead, we too in Christ will also rise from the dead. He was the firstborn, but those who believe in Jesus, there will be many more born, right? Second, third, fourth, and there will be a whole terrific, huge family of God. But Jesus was the firstborn who led the way. Secondly, another image is first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, and the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is another word for those who have died. Now, first fruits is the language of agriculture, harvest, right? Jesus is imagined as the first fruits of the harvest brought in. But that guarantees that those who trust in Jesus will be part of this massive harvest. So just as Jesus is the first fruits, there will be more harvest to come for those who are in Jesus. It means just as Jesus resurrected from death, those who believe in him will resurrect with him too. Finally, last image. Hebrews 2.10 speaks of Jesus as the pioneer of our salvation. Now, what's a pioneer? Well, a pioneer is one who goes into a territory where no one has gone before, right? Is that, is that a Star Trek thing? Go to where you've never gone before, something like that. So Jesus is our pioneer, and he successfully finds a way through to the other side of death. But he leaves a trail for the rest to follow. Jesus is a pioneer who was perfect in salvation and the way he suffered and died, but he plunged through the other side into resurrection life. And so as a pioneer, Jesus has marked the trail He's marked the pathway to the eternal kingdom of God. And if we believe in Jesus as our pioneer, we follow in his way. He leads the way forward. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that your journey with Jesus is not going to be without challenges. There may be many challenges. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, You may be hard-pressed on either side, but you're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. It's profound. Even when we suffer and finally die on this earth, because of our faith in Jesus as our pioneer, we will always live and be victorious. And that is why Paul proclaimed, death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So these are the resurrection images. And so Paul exhorts us at the end of this passage 
in 1 Corinthians 15. Stand firm, brothers and sisters. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to God's work for you and know that your work for Him is never in vain. We're resurrection people. We are pioneers of Jesus' people. We are people living God's resurrection hope. Let's pray. Lord, on this morning, as we contemplate, or have contemplated, death, the pain, the sorrow, we are grateful that you came and understand all the pain of death. And having experienced that and died for us, you also resurrected. And we thank you that through our faith in you, we can share in your resurrection life. And so we ask that you would help us, first of all, to believe in who you are and to trust you. And that in the struggles and the upheavals of life, May we know that this resurrection power is real, it's for us, and that we can gain victory even in sorrow, and that through Christ, through your resurrection, we can have life even after death. And so we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.